Okay, down to 11,000. If you would, have him roll the trucks. It's on the, the engine number one, Captain's side. Okay, thank you. 1380, contact New York Center, 135145. 3545, good day. Hello, you're listening to the podcast. So there I was, which is how all great aviation stories start. This is episode 35, a continuation of our interview with Bonnie. My co-host, Repeat, what a great show so far. It has been fabulous. It was so fun to catch up with Bonnie after so many years. I've known her for a long time, obviously, as we talked about in the very beginning. We broke up the show at an obvious place, and now we're going to talk to her about some of her, her fleet experiences. Maybe some of her instructors, if they're listening, will understand why their bombs wouldn't hit the broad side of a mountain out in Southern California back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> that is very, that is a, that is an awesome story because, um, you know, it's kind of like karma. Karma right? comes back, right? Absolutely. And, and I got to uh, say, that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard of in all my years in aviation. So, um, right. and then, and then it doesn't get funny. It gets real after that. It was, uh, it, it was emotional and hard to hear some of this. They almost lost that airplane. She was the captain on Southwest Airlines 1380 back in April of 2018. They lost an engine, and I thought that was it. She brought a single-engine plane back that happened to explode and, and uh, hit a window and, and hurt somebody. But, you know, how hard is that, right? Oh, no. I, I had no idea uh, there was that much else that the public really doesn't know no she and darren are true master aviators and real heroes in every definition of the word they did a nice job they saved a lot of lives that day so without further ado sit back and enjoy episode 35 with gratitude to your service bonnie and to your excellent airmanship and that of your first officer darren oh and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So uh, I want to back up a little bit and ask about VAQ 34. You initially were told no guns, no bombs. You're just flying profiles and all that. <laughs> and then, right, am, am I correct from your book? Well, uh, not initially. My skipper had saved up and paid for uh, three of us, one okay. gentleman and Pam and I, to go do a sevens. And you come back and it's a big wall of a board and your scores are up there for God and everybody to see. Oh, you bet. And, uh-huh. um, Pam and I, uh, they, you know, they, uh, it was the last a seven debt ever. And so, uh, weapons detachment ever. Yeah. And so they were just set to have a really good time. And then suddenly they're saddled with the only two girls to ever go through. And the, Let's just say the management was not happy about that, but they had to take us, but they didn't have to take us to dinner. So we (laughs) ate out of the vending machines. All the guys took the cars and went to dinner. And so Pam and I had nothing to do but walk through our weapons pattern, call out, you know, chair fly your weapons pattern. So I don't think that we were better bombers or strafers. It's just that we had a lot more time on our hands to practice. (laughs) 
And we wound up being number one and two on the board in day bombing, night bombing. And when my strafing scores were higher than the instructors, they took our bullets and bombs away. And uh, that's an ego check for those guys. It should be, you know, geez, you can't outscore us. What's the matter with you? That's (laughs) no sense of decency, woman. (laughs) I I know. I, uh, Pam and I were excited that we were keeping up, you know, let alone doing well. But they took the bombs and the the uh, bullets away. I called home because I'd kind of had enough of the nonsense and said, Skipper, did you pay for those bombs or are we here on their good wishes? And she goes, oh, no, I paid for the gas. I paid for the bombs. I paid for the bullets. I said, well, we just had all of them pulled. And she said, oh, I'm sure this is classic Rosemary Mariner. She said, I'm sure there's a misunderstanding, Tammy Joe. I said, no, I, I'm telling you, we have been pulled. And we're allowed to fly just Pam and I, the profiles, we have nothing to drop, we have nothing to shoot, and we're not flying with the guys, and they've quit progressing us through the program. We're not doing the low-level laydown, we're, we're doing 30-degree dive, 45-degree dive. She said, I'm sure there's a misunderstanding. Let me, you know what, I'll check with the skipper, because I'm sure it's just a misunderstanding. <laughs> and the next day, uh, the the officer in charge, you know, the detachment, Lieutenant Commander, he was pissed. And he had been called and said, you will put bombs back on those jets. And he never gave us our bullets back. We did the strafing runs dry. And we never got to fly with the guys again. They'd put one instructor with us. And Pam and I would do 30 degree dive, 45 degree dive. But he was so mad and he comes into the ready room, you know, with this big bravado in front of everyone who called home wanking about not having bombs and bullets, you know, thinking that I would be so ashamed. And I said, well, I did, sir. I, I'm just like you. I'm wearing a flight suit. I'm on a weapons debt. I want something to bomb with. I want something to strafe with. <laughs> and at the end of that conversation, even though we weren't allowed to join in, he did understand that I don't have any objective more than he did. The funny thing is, the master chief who wasn't a he wasn't pro women you know at all but he kind of saw the underhanded stuff that was going on and he knew i'm sure that the guys that were checking our bombs cuz they always shake them once you're in your jet they've done you've done your preflight and everything but the enlisted go around before you leave and shake each little mark 76 to make sure it's on there good and not going to be falling off on top of somebody i could see I can't see my own because of the Delta wing on the A7. I couldn't see my own wing and bombs, but I could see our instructors bombs and wings. And then Pam, who was on the other side, Dandy, her last name Lyons. So her call sign was Dandy, Dandy Lyons. I could see her, but I saw them doing something to his bomb. So I turned around to look and they had these big wrenches and they were just cranking the fins of his bombs. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just started laughing knowing. So, so the they fins are fly- what make your bombs yeah. fly straight when they come off the airplane. Yeah. Yes. So they were sabotaging the bombs. Oh, that's awesome. My goodness. So I told Pam over frequency that we're on, I told her uh, go Barbie, which was our pre-planned quad three. That's uh, great. So if we had, you know, what do we do here? Or what's happening? Or- A discreet frequency to talk on. Yeah. yeah. And so she went, quad three. And I said, check out his bombs. And by that time they were on the other side, cranking his fence. 
we were laughing so hard. And when we left, all the enlisted lined up and did the wave. And um, (laughs) only times they did that was when they cranked his bombs. So him not knowing that, and I mean, he couldn't hit the side of a mountain. Of course not. It was called the curse of the girls because whoever flew with us had the curse of the girls. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. That is great. I never told them until the book came out. And if they read it now, now they know they weren't that bad of bombers. They had cranked fins. I'm sure, I'm sure awesome. it did. I'm sure it was a total ego destroying uh, opportunity for them. That's awesome. That, that is, is great. great. That is great. Well deserved. <laughs> Navy humor. It never ceases to amuse. Right? I mean, oh, no. you, can't, you can't go without in this business without busting someone's chops at every opportunity. But oh, no. uh, when they get pedantic like do. that to, to, to turn yeah. around and have someone deal some some flight line justice is a beautiful thing to hear about. Oh, so. that's great. Hey, one other quick one that was also in your book. Uh, you're bombing dead in A-Force. Uh, what did they do to you? And who, who, oh, who, yeah, yeah. who else noticed it? This was cool. That was funny. And in recollection, I mean, it just makes me realize that even though kind of had a, a rough opso XOCO in A4s, it was known as the Nazi squadron, and they lived up to their to their reputation. And that was among the men. So yeah. having the top three guys there really anti-women didn't help. Uh, but whenever we went on detachment, none of those three were with us. And the day that I was briefing, because it's a four-plane formation, the students are always, you know, in the front and supposed to be in charge of of their jet. And we're out at El Centro, and it's my turn to brief the four, and being on time, on target, it's really on the shoulder of the lead. So I brief, and I, I leave us plenty of time to get dressed up and started up, and everybody's kind of hanging back in the in the hangar. And I, you know, I check out my, my book and I notice everybody's kind of lolling and I'm thinking I'm heading out on time. This whole idea of don't leave your wingmen, they've got to start their engines to (laughs) be a part of this. And nobody is even walking out to their jet. And I'm getting a little puffy inside my helmet there thinking (laughs) what in the world. And I go to the back of the A4, climb up on the wing, go check, make sure my master arm is, is safety to go back down. And I never noticed, but I go to grab the bomb to give it a shake and it is dripping in pink paint. And (laughs) everybody's just howling. They're so funny. I mean, the enlisted, the instructors, the other students, they were just waiting for me. And when I didn't even notice it, walking up, they're thinking, (laughs) oh my gosh, how long is it going to take for this prank to play out? I get up there, I check, you know, but I was so (laughs) in my thought process about they better get up there and get ready. (laughs) That's awesome. And then, and then we're at the, so you you were dropping pink bombs, freshly painted pink bombs. That's Yeah. But before we got airborne, it was when the blue angels were there. And, you know, everything stops when they start to taxi. So we were at the hold short and we got held for the Blue Angels to taxi by and take off. And the first Blue Angel stops in front of mine. And he couldn't tell that, you know, I was a girl with my helmet on. I wasn't talking at that time, but or any way, I think he probably didn't know. But he looks at those pink. He stops the whole Blue Angel parade and says, nice bombs. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then he moves on. And so, yeah, the humiliation <laughs> didn't great. end until they got off my jet. Right. Didn't have to come back but, with hung ordinance at least. But. Oh, my goodness. That would have been it yeah. never ended. The best part of that story, in my mind, is that, you know, the, the, the grace with which you took it. So, you know, and, oh, and, and I think that's what I got to say. I think that was a lot of your success, the grace with which you took the the setbacks, intentional and malicious, and the grace with which you took the pranks as well. I mean, that's important. Being able well, to I, that, roll with the punches, I guess. True. And AOCS, which I don't think they had any real proverb for us there. But no, I take that back. There were a couple of proverbs for us there in AOCS, which was keep a good sense of humor and don't take yourself too seriously and attention to detail. So like I said, there were certainly more good guys than bad, like the pink bombs. That was totally for fun. I mean, it really made me laugh because the OPSO in that squadron, which made the whole squadron, like I say, they had the Nazi squadron was their nickname. And he was just a hateful guy. And he'd come in and said, Funnel, you're, you're going to props. Your torso harness doesn't fit. And being the opso and you're a student, you know, everybody just looked at me like, oh, my gosh, she just got kicked out of jets. But yeah. the para-riggers, again, the enlisted, had heard him talking about this and had said something to me about, you know, if your torso harness doesn't fit, you just go to China Lake and get one that fits. The guys do. The guys who are shorter or super tall and skinny. I mean, we've sent pilots out there before. And I'm kind of thinking, I never mentioned my torso harness didn't fit. I mean, I'm not sure why they're telling me this. And then a few days yeah. later, the opso comes in and makes that announcement to the ready room. So God had me prepared and the pararigers had me prepared. And I just said, oh, I'll just go to China Lake, get one that fits her. No problem. <laughs> so That was the end of that. Let the air out of his sails. <laughs> yeah, he did leave. The the ready room, he, I, I think it was foiled. So a successful career. And then getting to fly Hornets, that was terrible. I know you didn't like that airplane much. <laughs> nobody does. It's just yeah. nobody nobody likes that plane. That was a dream come true. I never thought. I, I still haven't even gotten a ride in one. It looks, it looks uh, like it might be a little fun. A little fun to fly. Yeah, just a little fun really yeah. fast. Any funny stuff from Hornets? Don't mean to put oh, you on the spot. Yeah, we'll come back to it if, yeah. if something come, if pops yeah. into mind. Because what I would also like to do is then, so it you talked about, um, you know, you're getting pretty senior and then it's time to fish or cut bait, I guess is the best way to put it. And right. you decided, you know what, it, it is time for me to get out. You did some, we had another gent on Nowhere to Go But Up, I think was the episode. And he did some firefighting with the Hollywood yeah. Guard. Okay. And uh, so you did some firefighting flying. Yes. It was as I was getting ready to step out of the Navy, one of my F-18 simulator instructors Mm -hmm. asked me if I'd be interested in flying the O-2 over forest fires. It was called the air attack position. I would fly with a forest ranger in my right seat. And we kind of did reconnaissance through the through the canyons and over the fire for winds and direction and heat index and so that the heavies that laid down the mud could know what they were facing and how low to go or how high in directions and then he coordinated the uh, ground troops and I also kept the 
coordinated the air stuff and and kept the news uh, folks at bay so that they didn't collide with with our guys. But um, yeah, that was it. It was fun flying. Um, it was so opposite the Navy. There was no competition, you know, as far as I was the only O2 and I had my mission. Everybody else had their mission. I've never flown with such laid back people in my entire life. I felt like we'd gone back to the days of flat hatting, you know, not that they flat hatted, but I'm just saying, you know, flying low and, and well, they did, but it was legal. It was, it was a legal flat. Yeah. It was, it was for us. It was, uh, it was pretty fun. And, uh, and then went on to uh, get my, my type rating and apply to Southwest airlines and got landed there, you know, about, 28 or 29 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So, so you're at Southwest Airlines. That wasn't an easy road for you either. It looked like that was a little bumpy at the start. Um, wow. Yeah. I think looking back on it, of course, when you're going through the storm, you can't really get perspective sometimes. Right. There was kind of a mini culture war going on at the time. CRM had just come on the scene as being something that, that companies were saying, we don't need sky gods. We need two pilot cockpit in these commercial airliners for good reason. You know, both people are qualified. There's a reason there's two of you up there. There's even a book, I think, named Sky Gods. And most of the captains I flew with came through <laughs> when they were treated as a first officer, like the captain was God. And whatever the captain said or acted like or did was going to be, that's how we set the tone, you know, and yeah. don't don't speak up. That certainly didn't set well with some of the, the captains. There was some great captains. So yeah. again, it's always the minority that make the squeak in the wheel, not the majority. Also, tail hook had happened in the Navy, which set a lot of people's teeth on edge. I'll let whoever's listening, if they're not familiar, look that up. I never went to tail hook. It wasn't my scene. I wasn't interested in that yeah. slice yeah. of camaraderie. And so... I certainly didn't have any part in it, but there was just people who were frustrated because when behavior was exposed that shouldn't be going on, a lot of people were pulled into that shadow that maybe didn't deserve to be. But when yeah, it got, it got some down, people, it got, I'll say it got it got a lot of people that uh, probably needed to have uh, have their reins checked. Um, but it 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 damaged a lot of people who were who just happened to be there and had nothing to do with anything. Um, right. And, and it was right. disappointing to see senior leadership just threw their people under the bus to try and save their own backsides. Uh, exactly. So but, yeah. that had gone on. And then Kara Holt Green, yeah. who I knew yep. she was in a sister squadron and had gone through as a student when I was an instructor. Um, yep, she I went through had, VT 27 with her. Okay. I remember in A4s, which I wasn't in A4s, yeah. but she wound up going through the Nazi squadron yeah. that I had gone through. And I remember one of the male students there crossing paths, I don't know, you know, at lunch or something. And he said, yeah, Kara got a below average for smiling too much. <laughs> and I thought, that sounds like my old A4 squadron. There you go. But right. anyway, she had, uh, she had died behind yeah. the boat yeah and was it was terrible. at the change over time of women going into combat uh in in aviation and there were just some real strong attitudes about that 
um, and I tried to always just when people wanted to get into this debate about it, I would just say, you know what, these are decisions that are made in Congress. I, I would just say vote uh, for the congressman that makes the decisions you like. That's the best any of us can do. Um, you know, I don't have anything to yeah, tell you're, you. You're I, way above my pay grade here. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's above my pay grade and uh, moving on. So yeah. all of this stuff is kind of swirling around whenever I get to Southwest. And um, some great guys. I can't tell you. Just people I'll keep in touch with the rest of my life. Captains that I flew with. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Sumner Weil was was one of my first captains. He was the nut and just made flying so much fun. And uh, Jim Rice, one of my favorite uh, pilots that I've flown with in my life. Uh, And Fig Newton. I mean, there's, there's just such a list of great guys. But unfortunately... I ran into some not great guys. And um, so there were also a couple in middle management that um, had a real complex about women. Uh, at the time, I didn't know that, you know, so I just felt like, what am I doing to garner such hate right. and discontent? So with that stage set, there was somebody who had not done well initially in the Navy and then had gotten a fleet seat, but had also gotten kind of an invitation to leave early due to tail hook. Again, something I had nothing to do with. I never went, but he definitely felt like he could make some problems for me. So he, he did what he could. And, and to this day, I've never met him. That's what's so funny. I mean, this is all done by somebody who, never even met the guy to this day. But wow. yeah, I wound up getting fired by Southwest, not because of anything that I had done, but because of gossip from this person to two middle managers that were happy to hear gossip. And and uh, the Navy in, stepped up in a really drastic and dynamic way to say, this is not true. I mean, here's the records. It's not true. My husband's skipper, flew in as well as Captain Mariner flew in to testify on my behalf. And um, to end on a funny note, whenever uh, Tom Vaughn, my, my husband's skipper at the time that this incident was in question, uh, whenever he took off, he lit his afterburner and set off every car alarm in the Southwest parking lot. Oh, that's fantastic. So I just thought not only the sound of freedom, but lots of honking horns as he leaves. That's outstanding. (laughs) Beautiful. So that was at the hearing where you got your job back. Yeah. Where I got my job back. And you know, I would. A lot of people stepped up to to come and say, Hey, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. Totally, totally did. And here's, Here's a point that I think is is probably one of the really good takeaways of our whole podcast, really. When I got my job back, of course, I was a little bruised and battered for this. And uh, I wonder why. And I it's only your whole I, life, right? That wasn't stressful or uh, yeah. yeah, not at all. And honestly, it had gotten to where there was like maybe less than five people who would even look me in the eye. The wow. the demolition of of my reputation was uh, being approached so well. But whenever they offered my my job back, I told Captain Mariner, I go, man, 
I don't know that I want to go back and work for this company. Um, And she said, you know what, Tammy Jo, you need to realize that, first of all, if you don't go back, you and Dean will have a family, you'll have a happy life. If you go back, uh, but if you do that, of course, you'll be unhappy because you worked so hard to this point and uh, stepping away from it uh, will be a sacrifice. You won't be happy but you, uh, immediately, but you'll still have a happy life. If you go back, there will still yeah. be ugly behavior towards you. You will not be happy no matter what choice you make. What you need to do is go five, maybe 10 years down the road, turn around and look at what decision would make you happy 10 years from now, you know? And I, I remember after uh, just on my knees in prayer over this and grueling over it and trying to figure it out, that made sense to me. And I thought, that is, that is exactly right. She said, don't worry about the lies that swirl around you or your reputation because truth will outlive a lie. It'll take time, but truth outlives a lie. And so I took my job back and it was, I mean, there were years that it was, I had ugly behavior. Now I will say on when I got back to work, I flew with a tech airman. I'd flown with him before. His name is Jim Rice. What a prince among men and incredible aviator. And he knew me and he knew what a bucket of uh, ugly bolts that had all been. And he said, Timmy Joe, I want you to just enjoy this week. We're going to have fun. And off we went and we had so much fun flying airplanes like pilots like to do. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And then I think just months after that, we adopted our firstborn and, and then a year and so after that we had our second and to be honest, uh, being a mom definitely outranked being a pilot. uh, (laughs) Best job on earth, hardest job, but best job on earth. What a stressful, uh, what a stressful time from start to finish. How long were you, um, how long were you uh, uh, out? I was out. I was, um, yeah, no ID for six months. And uh, truthfully, if, if Captain Mariner hadn't stepped up and said, I want you to come meet uh, a couple of ladies from Dakowitz, they're meeting, they're for Department of Defense, you know, they're not for civilian pilots. But um, she said, I just think you're going to need some legal representation. And I had always pushed her back on that. I said, no, there's a union, you know, there, I'm sure I need to just let it process out. But um, Susan Barnes and Susan Kudla had dinner with me just anticipating uh, just listening to my, my situation and pointing me to the right uh, attorney, which I had to laugh. We had no money. Um, you know, we just, we were just out of the Navy. I was out of the Navy. Took a pay Uh, cut to do that. Took a pay cut. Dean was still in the Navy, but we just, uh, I think we bought a home in Texas by then. And anyway, bottom line is they had dinner with me. And at the end of it, they said, we'll take your case pro bono, but you need to decide, do you want a pile of money? Or do you want to work? And I said, I just want to work. I just want to be left yeah. alone to fly. I just want to work. I just want to fly. 
And they said, okay, so that's, we, we make two different directions depending on that. And so we went towards uh, working and so glad. I've always been glad that they accomplished that. And Southwest is full of great people. And I think it's really hard to, to know every middle manager's motives. It just happened to be I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Years later, at, after flight 1380, finding out from the uh, SWAPA or our Southwest Union attorney that I was the last in a long string of females that were getting hatcheted by these two individuals uh, and some men. I mean, they yeah. just kind of had that. They they're on a little power and, trip. If you weren't, well, in, they in told me, yeah. yes, they, they told me up front, these two that HR doesn't always make the right decision in hiring and they were there to correct it. So the attorney said, yes, that's true. That's what they did. And so, you know, mine was the end of that that rain well, thank, there. Thank goodness so. they got put in check then. But oh my goodness, what a horrible thing for it you was, to have to go through to make it. It was not. Yeah, I would say it would be one of those oh. low po- mm. low points in life. Yeah. But there's always a way up. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a good segue, and and yeah. I I just I I got to make this. I have to say this because I just feel like it's. Uh, <laughs> So everything that you went through, and I, I don't mean just this, uh, these, these guys that tried to hatch at you from Southwest land and everything that you went through from starting with AOCS up to that day, I think it was in April of 2018 mm-hmm. flight yeah. 1380. Think about that. Yeah. That is a once in a career, uh, well, I, <laughs> Well, hopefully hope never not. in a career, no, but yeah. you know, that, that's a <laughs> right. one-time career, non-normal emergency that you had. And it's almost like right. it, it, it was destiny. Someone less prepared. That you were there that yeah. day on that flight, you know, based on all your experience and all your, uh, you know, your, especially your right. ability to make on, and, and I don't want to go into great detail because I, I, you may want to talk about it, but just the fact that you, you had the wherewithal to say, you know what, we're, we're not going to put the flaps at 15 um, because I don't yeah. think this thing's going to fly. Uh, you, you, right. know, you, you had that experience. So can we yeah, just get some high it. points on that? I mean, right. I mean, that, I mean, that was a, that was a, you know, and I didn't realize until I actually, uh, I'm going to confess until I read your book. Uh, Cause I had listened to other, you know, I listened to some stuff on the internet and, um, and of course I saw right. the press release uh, from, from way back when, uh, but had really no idea how significant of a control problem you had. Yeah. In fact, and, and then let me, let me interject right. this and then hand it off to you, Tammy Joe. Um, sure. if you haven't, if any of the listeners haven't, I urge you to go onto YouTube and look for Southwest airlines, 1380 and ATC and listen to the conversation back and forth between the controllers and Tammy Joe and her uh, co-pilot Darren. And I say this in all earnesty or earnestness, earnesty, honestness. Earn, yeah. Anyway, honesty. are you creating words right now? Uh, again? <laughs> yeah. My cohort here giving me crap about creating words. Uh, I love it. I, I, I think I, I, I can honestly say that I was under more stress the last time I ordered a cheeseburger at the Wendy's drive through 
<laughs> than you were telling approach that, yeah, we're on fire. We're going to need a longer final. You were so calm and it just, it burns through all of that. And you listen to it and, and then understand what extremist you were in. Oh my goodness. So yeah, please tell us about how, how you got there and, and, uh, how, how it came to be nerves of steel. Well, I would say great crew. Darren and I had flown the day before together. And then we met the, the ladies, Shanique Mallory, Rachel Bernheimer, and uh, Catherine Sandoval mm -hmm. for the first time that morning. So second leg of the day, we were leaving LaGuardia for Dallas. And at about 32.6, we had an explosion, heard and felt it. And then it was like being hit by a truck, uh, T-boned because we just skidded sideways, pitched over in a dive, and did a snap roll to the left. And yeah, that's terrifying. later on, the it, it was pretty, uh, yeah, the power involved in that. And finding out a little bit more after the NTSB report is in. And I just spent some time at Gulfstream. They had a safety stand down and fan blade off was their, their point. And so getting to see a little bit more of it from the engineer perspective and Looking at the, um, I think it was the E-11 Bombardier out in Afghanistan that had the same thing. Darren and I thought we'd been hit by another aircraft because the jolt was so violent. There was no precursors. And both of us just grabbed the controls and uh, slowly brought it back into control. And there was, then the Boeing 737-700, you know, your, your engine instruments are pretty good size and in a stack. Right. Uh, engine number one, engine number two, and engine number one was obviously flashing. So we just assumed number one was dead. We just had a moment of time that we could see that. And then the shuddering. Southwest 1380, if you're trying to get me, all I hear is static. Southwest 1380 has an engine fire descending. Southwest 1380, uh, are you you're descending right now? Yes, sir, we're single engine descending, have a fire number one. Alright, that's a 1380. Uh, okay, where would you like to go to? Which airport? Give us a vector for your closest. Philadelphia. We're finding 250. Okay, heading 250. We're looking at uh, Philly. That's a Roger. We thought the hit would be it, but then this shuddering just kind of crescendoed and got worse so that we couldn't see our our checklist. We couldn't see the engine instruments. We couldn't get our hands on on uh, the mask switch for a while. You know, it was a pretty uh, rough dance for a little while. There was smoke pulled into the cockpit that was intensified a little bit by the cloud of condensation that was formed. This roar that just grew to a certain decimal and and then it couldn't get any louder. And it just smothered <laughs> every sound. Uh, we couldn't hear our own voices, let alone each other's. And we sit, you know, a foot and a half apart. But, and then we had this ice pick pain in our ears that we both compared uh, on the ground later. And I guess that was just the collapsing of our station tubes when the, the um, rapid depressurization happened. And, right. uh, so all of that combined, it was a little startling. And we 
I it's that's like saying that's like saying the sun is a little bright, you know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I again adrenaline here is is pretty interesting when you don't you know you're kind of out of control of things and adrenaline kicks in and it won't give you an epiphany beyond what you already know. There's no alchemy in it, but it does give you a recall that's pretty impressive. And it just, you know, thinking about different things that had happened, really different stories. And if we have time, you can let me know and I'll tell you what those are at the end. But it helped make some snap decisions on the way down. I tapped Darren on the sleeve just so that we went back to just one person controlling the aircraft because we both recovered it. It's just a natural reaction. But I, you know, remembering Air France and two people doing opposite controls and I made sure that he knew that he had it because it was his leg. And I wanted to make sure we stayed as a team that he didn't feel like, okay, no, now it's just the captain show, you know, that it was still a team effort. So I made sure he had it. We got our, oxygen masks on and we could talk and decided where we were going to go talk to ATC. Then I made a PA just thinking, you know, it startled us. I mean, even the fire extinguisher came unclipped. That's how hard the hit was. Wow. Um, and and wow. then I made a, a quick PA to the back just to let everybody know that we were still in control of it of the aircraft and told them we're, we're not going down. We're going into Philly. We, you know, we're pretty nose down for a while. I think we're about, I don't know, 5,000 feet per minute. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's, that's that's probably uh, three, three times the normal rate of descent. So it probably had everybody's attention along with uh, all the other stuff that was happening back there. Right. I mean, if you think about the atmosphere back there, so the fan blade that came off, uh, when it sheared, it didn't go out or back. It went forward because of the speed and created a sonic boom inside the engine, which is what peeled back the cowling, kind of like a banana peel. And the small pieces that came out of that boom are what did the most damage. The big pieces, the ATC said they could track, you know, part of the, the rim to the ground where they found wow. it. But the small pieces are what tore chunks out of the leading edge of the wing and hit a number of windows. One piece was that big buckle. There's only two underneath the 737 engine that keeps the cowling on. And that heavy buckle is what uh, damaged one of the windows to the point that it gave way. Southwest 1380. I understand your emergency. Let me know when you want to go in. Yeah, we have a part of the aircraft missing, so we're going to need to slow down a bit. Southwest 1380, speed is your discretion. Maintain uh, at any altitude above 3,000 feet, and you let me know when you want to turn base. All right. Down to 3,000, 210 on the speed. So while this tearing of materials, and it severed hydraulic lines and fuel lines on that side, but that tearing never steadied up to be the same shuddering. It, you could hear and feel tearing of materials the whole way down. So I know people, including Darren and I, you know, we never had this feeling of, okay, we've sustained all the damage and now this is what we have to fly. It was constantly a different syncopation to the shutter and the noise and the sound. So people in the back, you know, they're hearing this as well. And then the 
the rapid depressurization, you know, if you've seen a balloon pop, you've seen a rapid depressurization. And so it's air that equalizes pressure and it does so rapidly and with extreme force. And we were about 7,000 feet inside 70 degrees and it exchanged with 32.6, negative 25 degrees, you know, like that. Also, just having one window open in a car at 60 miles an hour, it's unpleasant. And part of it is because of the reverberation in your ears. And that 60 mile an hour wind hitting 60 mile an hour wind trying to get out the same port. And so we had, a you know, around 500 miles an hour or so trying to hit that same port. So it was, uh, it was not pleasant at all in the, in the back. And, and um, so that's kind of what we were dealing with on our way down. And we were about 10,000 pounds overweight for landing and, of course, we practice single engine every year. And the 737 is amazing, especially after this flight, I would have to say incredible that it can sustain such damage and fly. It's a wing. And, but we had enough damage on the outside, on the left side, that when we started bringing power up on the right side to level off going over Philadelphia prior we realized we can't use very much power over there. We have so much drag pulling us left that at a certain point, the power, which still isn't letting us level off and maintain airspeed, right. is it pushes us uh, that way. So we had to pull power uh, a little power off, and that wasn't enough with the drag that we had to level off. So around there is where we found out about the injury in the back and what was going on and you can hear on the um, ATC or maybe it's ATC or cockpit voice recorder transcript that flaps 15 is what we normally do single engines at 30 or 40 is a normal, normal landing. But since I could see the wing chewed up, I really didn't know how much was chewed up where I couldn't see it. And I didn't want to have asymmetrical flaps when I landed and then realizing we couldn't uh, level off and keep any kind of airspeed, that we had to trade altitude for airspeed. Airspeed being life, uh, because that's what gives you rudder authority and able to keep uh, a balanced flight. Aircraft don't fly well sideways. They cause even more drag. So right. we had to do, fly at whatever airspeed we could keep our nose straight in. And um, that meant trading altitude since we didn't have thrust available that would do it. And um, so flaps five decision, Darren was incredible all the way down. I have to say Um, he took over. I, he called out a lot of things that were going wrong. I worked with what was working right. We kept a good communication all the way down. He brought up ideas and sometimes we used his and threw away mine. Um, sometimes we use mine and threw away his, you know, and I just love the fact that we could throw out, we could both throw out ideas and if they worked, we grabbed them. If they didn't, they fell to the floor and we moved on. There was no pride in this, you know? And, um, so I could see the chewed up wing. I was the one flying down lower. He was taking care of communications, trying to make sure people were okay in the back. And so when he, offered flaps 15 because that's what we do with right. uh, single that's engine the standard single engine uh, flap setting that's it i i had to tell him no i don't think you know i don't think that'll work for us today and uh we you know flew 180 
which was a flaps five maneuvering. We had been making a lot of left turns into the damaged engine and had to be really careful. It wanted to roll over. It was, we'd get bank angle, bank angle with just the slightest pressure to turn. And our last turn was 90 degrees to the right. And we kept on all the power that we could, which still wouldn't keep us. We were, I felt like a pretty, uh, pretty much a Boeing glider at that point, but we were still on, on profile. I felt like to make it and we couldn't turn right. The tower controller or the approach. Left 270. (laughs) Yeah. We didn't have the power to, we didn't have the altitude. We didn't have the power to do a left 270. And he said, the runway is behind you, which is a nice way of saying you're overshooting. And it's, then he goes silent. Southwest 1458, uh, give me a best forward speed, please, and the tower's 18.5. That's already. Fairwing 714, direct peace out. Direct peace out, Fairwing 714. Southwest 13A, you'd like to turn, uh, start turning inbound. Southwest 1380, turn, uh, just start turning southbound there. There's a Southwest 737 on a four mile final, we'll be turning southbound. Start looking for the airport, it's off to your right and slightly behind you there. And uh, altitude is your discretion. Use caution for the uh, downtown area. Maintain, uh, advise you to maintain at above 2,200 for uh, the MVA. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you, is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing. They said there was a hole and, and uh, someone went out. We'll work it out there. Uh, so the airport's just off to your right. Report it in sight, please. Inside, South 1380, airport's in sight. Southwest 1380, you're cleared visual approach, 27 left. 27 left and towers on 18.5. We're going on 27 left, switching tower, good day. And in the cockpit, whenever Darren and I went back to listen to the cockpit voice recorder at the NTSB headquarters, it was silent in our cockpit. And then there's just two words from me, and it's <laughs> Heavenly Father. In a question, and Darren said, I knew you were praying. I said, oh, all the way down. I just remember, I thought it was a private conversation. And I remember thinking, you know, Heavenly Father, I know we did not get 30,000 feet down, still in control of this thing and can't turn the last 90 degrees. And I mean, prayer for me often just takes that metal cage off my mind. And I could think more creatively, more clearly. And Al Haynes story came to mind where he used asymmetrical thrust to get turned to line up with the runway. And I thought, that's not even funny. That's my problem. It's not the answer, but it really was. It was the answer. I pulled power off, got it turned around. It put us below profile. I had Darren pull up the VMC on my HUD. So that gave me a three degree uh, dotted three degree glide path and a velocity vector that I could line up with the landing zone. We did, but we we immediately had to uh, creep back and put the velocity vector towards the end of the runway to keep up our airspeed. When it got to the end of the runway, then we had to give up airspeed. And we were silent on the way down. There was horns blaring. There was altitude below glide sloop, altitude below glide sloop, you know, whatever was going off. But because 180 is maneuvering speed for a nice, slick, clean airplane at flaps five we were flaps five with all kinds of things flapping and and uh drag and and we were like i said overweight 
for landing, which means we should have had more than 180 knots probably. So we really didn't feel like our landing was assured until we touched down. And uh, we came in, I'm sure, flat because we tried to keep it on the, you know, the pipper on the runway until we just had to start pulling the nose up and come in. And we landed between 167, 171 knots. It's a successful landing. Yes. Uh, I know that we, we didn't do everything perfect by a long shot. I'm sure others could have done better, but um, I felt like we kept our priorities straight. Easy to money morning quarterback, everybody's decisions. And um, yours, yours were just spot on from, you know, where I'm sitting. And Fig, I'm going to say, since you fly that airplane and teaching that airplane, I, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing you're going to use a lesson or two from this book. I am actually uh, every uh, every chance I get because we as airline pilots have uh, gotten a bad reputation lately as not not being very proficient at flying and letting automation take over too much. And I think uh, this is a prime example of uh, hand flying, understanding right. your energy. and how your aircraft's handling made all the difference between this being a success and us having this conversation and, and, and that being just another horrible accident. I agree with you. I do think hand flying because obviously everything was knocked off and we never even tried to put it back on because when you hand fly, you get to feel your energy package better than if your automation is on and what that trade-off is. I look at the Bombardier accident with the fan blade off, their autopilot stayed on and they shut down the wrong engine and never got it back, never got it back on, crashed and, and killed both of them. In, in ours, the automation went off. Also, I will say our instrumentation, I felt like was a lot bigger and easier to determine which engine had died. There's a couple of things like the Air France I mentioned, and then just realizing, you know, having that sobering pinpoint in your mind that I am going to be accountable for every moment forward of this day. And this, this total non-aviation, although it has some good aviation stories in it, but Lone Survivor, no, I'm sorry, Horse Soldiers is the one that has some pretty cool aviation stories in it about Afghanistan. But Lone Survivor, Mark Luttrell, in the very beginning of his book, he talks about their SEAL team made a decision at the beginning of their mission that was based on fear of what what the faceless oversight groups would say. And it was the wrong decision. Right. And it led to the death of 36 people and almost his own. And I just remember that sobering thought right after this explosion and we got it in hand and I realized, okay, my decisions are going to be made according to what I know is right. I'm not going to worry about what other people are going to say. I will answer for good for my own decisions here. So the priority was always to land. And so everything we did if it was peripheral to that, then that's what we did. Yeah. Well, um, I, I want to mention also I, I, your book, and we're limited time here, so you, you don't have time to go into it. You, you do an okay. amazing job in your book talking about that you didn't do this alone, that your crew, it took Absolutely your entire not. crew. Right. 
So your credit to them is uh, well well uh, written out and explained in the book, and as yeah. as it should be. And you talk about their service oriented leadership that they provided both in the cabin and out. But another thing that you you right. kind of glossed over, but you made an amazing point of that I want to bring to the fore is that you made the quick call to the back and said, we're not going down, we're going to Philadelphia. And your line about that in the book was, hope doesn't change your circumstance, but it changes the people. And what you did, you gave them hope in the back and you gave yourselves hope by going, okay, here's where we're going. We've got a destination and we're going to get there. So the hope that you implanted in your own minds and implanted in the people in the back changed their outlook on the situation which they found themselves. And that was, that was a, very profound statement. I, I, I thought that. so too. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've had some good leaders and leaders don't leave mysteries for their people. And right. so I had such great examples right. to, to, you know, prompt me into what I hope were uh, good, good decisions. And uh, if I hadn't made the PA, I know Darren would have soon, but he was, he, at that time, he was flying. He so was we were just plates and juggling thinking, chainsaws, was he? <laughs> right. We were <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that was, and I have to give some uh, bravo to our flight attendants. I've already named yeah. their names, but we also, because of their bravery and getting up, going against protocol, against procedures uh, to stay buckled up, they got up and went down an aisle. It changed the day. For different people that day yeah. and we had passengers tim mcginty andrew needham peggy phillips just starts the list of people that got up that day uh, to help help people yeah so god bless them all that is awesome hey bonnie awesome. you you mentioned yeah. uh, uh uh so the uh the adrenaline factor and some clarity uh that you could maybe talk about at the end is this a good time for that sure well, I'm sitting on the edge okay. of my seat yeah. here. I want to hear what you have to say. And then the yeah. CVR review. I want to hear about that. Oh, okay. Well, it, do it in order. Well, what that you think is important. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah please do. I've I've told you a little bit about the the uh, the true stories that just kind of flashed up, and mm-hmm. adrenaline. Again, to clear away the underbrush of illusion, there uh, adrenaline will not make you into superheroes. But whatever you've taken time to store, it really comes forefront. And Darren and I both, I think, realized whatever you make a habit daily, that becomes your instinct. And we don't have any choice in our instincts, but we do have a choice in what we groom our habits, which then turn into our instincts. So we saw that day, whether it was out of control flight instincts, you know, whether it was the instinct to take care of other people, because we, we've been on both sides where we haven't been taken care of or we have been taken care of. And so, you know, making your decisions in your everyday, how you're going to make those decisions, it, it really comes to bear. Also, that retrieval that I was telling you about, just thinking about things that are pertinent that I did not try to bring forward to my mind. But with adrenaline pumping, it just seems like you have a leisurely time of thought, even though things are happening really fast. And I remember the Swiss air. It it really is. It happened in the T2 when we were going straight down. And so I recognized it as uh, from adrenaline. But the Swiss air flight that not long before that had gotten, they had a fire on board. And they chose to orbit overhead an airfield and do checklists until they ran out of fuel and crashed and killed everyone. And 
I just remember I re, I had that flash when we were trying to get our checklist because it's challenge response response and it it just was getting hard to get that done, and I remember thinking at the end of the day if they need an epitaph for me it will not be she did all her checklists and then <laughs> crashed and killed everybody I thought right. you know what I will but answer her checklists for a checklist. were perfect <laughs> yeah I will right. answer for the lack of a checklist any day to getting on the ground yeah. and not, like I said, you know, a, a better man than I, Gunga Din might've gotten them all done and, yeah. and landed as well. But well, well for hold Darren on and second. I, we kept our, yeah. Bonnie, uh, listen, and for all the listeners, checklists are there so you don't miss steps. Checklists are there uh, so that uh, if you have a non-normal, you have a path. However, they're right. only as good as the situation in, not all situations are the same. As a matter of fact, yeah. most of the time we train in the simulator, it's a canned situation. It's a non-normal one at a time. Very rare that we double up and do multiple non-normals at once. This situation was completely off the reservation. It was <laughs> yeah. not in any script. And you just you didn't have just one non-normal. You had multiple. You had airframe right. damage. And so right. you had to pick and were completely in non uh, in a uh, I just my my internet just went a little wonky and it's yeah. on my oh, end. Okay. I'm sorry. You were bad for a bit, but yeah. No, but, you were saying but, you had a dead and dying engine, controllability problems, rapid decompression, and yeah, oh, you, by the way, you got the words uh, from the cabin that uh, there's some bad injuries. Oh, back and, here. And, and then there's a medical right. problem. Yeah, yeah, you got injured right. people. So, so just to set the record straight, yeah. or just to give our listeners uh, a uh, an idea, you you had some serious uh, decisions to make and keep the airplane flying and try to get it on the ground. So the fact that you uh, maybe didn't run all the checklists or, or chose which <laughs> checklist to run partially and what I think, so that's all part of being an aviator and, um, and yeah. keeping your, keeping your aircraft flying. It has nothing to do with whether or not, like you said, you could have run every single checklist perfectly and then, and then come up two miles short in the river because uh, you didn't fly the airplane. <laughs> because you took the extra time to run checklists. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and it was so, it was something that took my full attention. And um, <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> Gee, so, 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 and the NTSB, I will say, uh, and I've gotten to talk to Robert Zumwalt since, and they actually came out with no criticism about that. So yeah. I felt like we all realize, you know, there's times, like you said, there the checklists are there for a path. And certainly having used them previously, frequently, we had a path that we already knew in our minds. And so we, we had the systems knowledge, we were hand flying, and we had the checklist that on the final approach, Darren just pointed at the flap inhibit switch and I nodded. So there were just different things that you, you work together as a team and keeping our priorities was, I loved that about Darren working with Darren. He knew, I mean, I never had to pull him forward to this is what we're doing now. And he never, I hope had to pull me forward. You know, we just both kept on pace on what we're facing right now. And that's, uh, so that's, I think that's, that's important. Hand flying that's a and testament keeping your priorities. To your training, your professionalism, SOP compliance. I mean, every, every, all that, what you said, daily habits, uh, yeah. you know, we're, uh, right. uh, it, it all came into play. And the fact that you two work so well together is just a, a testament to your training and your professionalism. Well done. 
Yeah. Uh, well, Indeed. Indeed. well done. Great, great crew that day. As I tried to point out in the beginning, Tammy Joe is a, a professional and a gentle lady. And that brings me to the story that I requested, the CVR. You and Darren go in oh. and listen to the CVR. <laughs> yes. Wait, what CVR both- stand for? Oh, I'm sorry. Cockpit voice recorder. So uh, they, right. no one, it, it's never published. I mean, they'll put the transcript out of what was said, right. but you'll never hear because, and that's a good law because yeah. you don't want uh, pilots who are an extremist and about to meet uh, their end uh, to have that, right. their family have to listen to their voices uh, as they, right. as they perish right. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the NTSB called us about two months later and said, it's available for you and Darren to listen to. I mean, the CEO, the chief pilot, no one can go in. Only you, only the cockpit people can go in. You're not allowed to have a piece of paper or a pencil. You listen to it once. It's very official and it's done. And as we're headed in there, Darren said, you know, I am not looking forward to this really. I mean, I feel like I should, but, and, and he kind of, kind of teased me. He goes, you know, if you could have acted just a little more uh, upset that day, I think we would have gotten better handling. (laughs) You know, we kept getting asked, are you an emergency? (laughs) Then we have to say yes. And how much fuel and souls on board and da-da. And so he said, you know, I kind of think that's your fault. (laughs) I said, okay, (laughs) fine, Darren. You know, we kind of laughed about it, went in. And he was feeling bad about, man, I just, I don't know why I couldn't get through the checklists. And after listening to what was all going on, because you, in the, in the cockpit voice recorder, you can hear ATC as well as us. So it's a very busy uh, sing song going on all the way down. So he understood that better, but they were giving us instructions at the beginning and they said, all right, uh, we're having you here to help us make sure that the transcript is, is correct. Now we have done our best in transcribing where there is a proper name. We redact that and put an at symbol and where there is uh, foul language, then we put a pound sign. And I kind of thought for a minute, I thought, wow, foul language. And, <laughs> and uh, the guy that was giving the brief uh, stopped and he looked up and he goes, okay, this we've all checked. And this is our first flight without foul language. <laughs> and Darren said, well, I cussed the day before and she hit me. and the ntsb guy looks at me like i went not hard not just a throat punch no big deal (laughs) just a a punch in the yeah no i did not clothesline him i just punched his arm that's a show title there she hit me (laughs) (laughs) tammy joe thank you for your service to our country thank you uh, thank you for your uh, laying the path ahead for all the women who are now flying tactical jets. That was not the case when you came through, and I know you don't view yourself as a pathfinder and a glass ceiling breaker and all that. Get the words right out of my mouth. But you have done good work, and so many people, their lives are easier because of the hardships you endured with the grace that you did. So thank you for that. To our listeners, I want to ask you to go to sotherawas.us slash rumble, and please subscribe. So once we get to 100 subscribers, we don't have to pay to bring you these live streams on Rumble anymore. Thank you also to our sponsor, robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. If you'd like your squadron logo and your call sign on a slate coaster, laser etched on a slate coaster, that'd be a good place to go, robinsbirdbraindesigns.com. 
we do have a, a glossary page on so there I was.us. So if you heard a term like HUD or Pipper or something like that, I'll get those up there and we'll explain what those are if we didn't explain it during the show. We also have a links page so that you can view the Rumble videos, but you have to be subscribed to so there I was.us to get to that links page so you can get to the Rumble videos. Thank you to Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab for his support and helping us get this up and underway. And thank you to Dos Gringos for the music. So in the now meantime, until we meet again, stay safe and check six. With all that stuff supposed to save your life, but we knew there was no way. Because when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Now about four hours into the flight, well, I got a little nervous because it was still night. I'm on the wing of the tanker, man. Southwest 1380, runway 27 left, clear to land, wind 280, 0 19 gusts 25. Southwest 1380, right turn when you're able, you want to stop wherever you need to, is fine. Thank you, we're going to stop right here by the uh, fire truck. Thanks guys for the help